It can be told in few enough words. We are not certain of his intentions even yet. They talk. So I am told. I accidentally put the wrong end of the the bat in my mouth. Delicious. Yeah, smoking the weed pot from uh, wrong side. You're supposed to literally put the put the raw herb in your face and then light your mouth on fire. That's a better idea than yeah. <laughs> just fill your cheeks <laughs> with uh, just shake. Just fucking all of it shake. <laughs> the trashiest mids that you can find, and just have that whole your whole mouth area be a bowl. Light that what up. could possibly go wrong? Good morning, everyone. I'm Phil. And I'm Kyle. And we are the Unsociablists. And today we're going to talk to you about how any leftist ideology is laughed out of the room the moment that it's brought up in our uh, media and in general uh, day-to-day life in our capitalist hellscape. Before uh, we get into the ins and outs of our episode how are you today man i'm doing all right jesus the cat's playing with some toy and it's making a lot of noise but that's just been him recently yeah, he's just our been cats making a lot of noise have all been insane for the last few days we actually started letting them outside to have fresh air Ooh, uh, once in a that's while gonna be a problem yep now that they've gotten used to the idea that they can go outside sometimes it's been hell yep this, yeah, this no, is the problem. We give, we, give the, we give the peons of the world an inch, and suddenly they want a mile. We, yeah. should just, uh, we should just suppress everyone. You give them an inch, and they think they're a ruler. Hey, kitty. Sure. Uh, whatever. But yeah, you know, I've been doing all right. Uh, today I went to the grocery store. Um, the game that I was going to watch, the Liverpool versus United match, was postponed, which... Yeah, uh, protest. Yeah, due to a protest. And I'll talk about that for a second, but firstly, I want to say that, honestly, um, I'm relieved because Liverpool have been playing, like, such shit, and I was not ready to have that ruin my day and probably my week because that's just... I, I, I tie myself, my, my well-being, far too closely to a game played by... Uh, young adults where they just kick around a ball for 90 minutes half a world away so i don't understand why i bother feeling like this but thankfully i my my impending depression a probable loss is postponed but it was postponed because um so did you hear about the the super league stuff i read a very 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 short version of an article right i am not as interested in this as you (laughs) so basically the super league deal is where there were there the 12 like big big clubs in europe that's off the top of my head that's psg that's manchester city liverpool united chelsea shut up cat liverpool chelsea united um who else arsenal atletico barcelona real madrid um these are all teams worth hundreds of billions of dollars, you know, in, in many cases. Uh, PSG being a notable uh, giant among even them because they are backed by the uh, royal family of Qatar. Um, so they essentially exist as an arm of the Qatari state, just like a sink fund for their billions and billions of dollars. Like it's a 
pretty gross ownership group. But uh, all of these ownership groups are gross, including FSG, the owners of Liverpool, people, the team that I like. And so all of these guys are getting together in boardrooms. These aren't people who have played the game. These aren't people who have uh, coached. These are all ownership groups. These are all people like uh, John Henry, FSG's chair, um, who made his money on soybean trading. Uh, so he's not like a, he's an American who made his money on soybean trading. He's not a football aficionado and he owns a club cause he's rich. It's the same reason with like Stan Kroenke, uh, former, o- God damn it, cat later, give it 40 minutes. All right. So all of these, uh, companies and ownership groups that are essentially unconnected in any way to the uh, actual football club, like the cities that they come out of, uh, they've decided that, you know, everybody, they they don't actually care about the game between Liverpool and Sheffield, and they don't give a shit if Real beat Malaga. They just want to see Liverpool and Real and Barcelona and Manchester City, and they want to see the big teams play. So all these ownership groups of 12 uh, initial seed uh, clubs, and then there were going to be like an adi- additional three that were in the talks, but then there would be like a rotating five, like uh, like a rotating cast of like five other teams that were allowed in. And basically what happened was the uh, fans, not only of the clubs that would have been jilted by this, you know, think Everton. Everton, a pretty big club, but not in this category you know they would have been they have a pretty loyal fan base one that is directly opposed to liverpool but you know they're mostly fine and they would have been screwed out of the the league because eventually uh this would supplant the all of the national leagues right because it would be a, another way for them to enclose more capital right because a lot of these Football clubs aren't turning a profit for the most part. They're mostly like in the case of Manchester United owners, the their their uh their owners are named it's the Glazer family. It's really only the one guy who paid for it, but he's given out shares to his, you know, few fail sons, so it's diversified, I guess, or you know, the ownership group's slightly more uh spread out. But they use these these clubs as like masks for bad debt. Um, there's actually an incredibly good episode from the podcast Trash Future that goes into way more detail because I'm not a I'm not very good with finance and I don't really follow finance news. But they did talk a lot about how this thing that w- they know they can bet on because we love soccer. I I still watch even though I know FSG is shit and I know that. Uh, when we play against PSG, we're playing against essentially an arm of a government that uh, ke- has slave laborers. It's it's complicated, but the fans today were protesting for not the first time against the ownership group, and something like a thousand people uh, ended up congregating at the. It, basically, they have like a little courtyard outside of Old Trafford, the the stadium for Manchester United Stadium, and so a thousand people like you know, bust through, go into the stadium and are in there, you know, taking penalties, kicking up the dirt, you know, having some, having a good time, doing the right stuff because awesome, like break in, do your direct action. It's cool. But then eventually they send in, (laughs) there was all this coverage following it. Like, thank, thank the Lord that, uh, Manchester PD has entered into the station and resolved order, restored order. 
I, I, I really hated it because it was a bunch of bootlicking Brits talking about, well, this isn't the right way to do things, you know. This is really unfortunate that they're coming for football, stopping us from watching a, a match. You know, like, there are more important things going on than football, and the idea that this is somehow, like, some huge breach of product or proprietor... That this is some yeah, this is some uh, breach of propriety. It's not something I didn't expect. It is something that I find really fucking obnoxious, and I hate when sportscasters try and do this like stand on uh, a pedestal in order to be like, well, this isn't the yeah, right brand, way to the, protest. The, yeah, I mean, the grandstanding well, shit. Grandstanding is. Uh, I mean, the good news is that grandstanding is exclusive to the. Uh, football club of uh, Europe and certainly has never applied to any American sports and certainly, certainly has never applied to like things like American leftist protesting. We've never had any grandstanding about how dangerous it is to do the wrong thing. Like, uh, Oh, they, they burned a police station down. These violent people are not spreading their message in the right way. There was like a, a protest that was going through, I think Elizabeth city in North Carolina. And this is of course the site of, one one of the sites, one of the most recent sites of a murder of a black man by police, uh, following followed by uh, police repression to protests of that event. It, it's looking really bad for the people in North Carolina right now. And of course, whenever people are injured, whenever protesters are injured, it's not a big deal. But just like whenever I was watching coverage of the police. Uh, evacuating or, you know, pretty violently pushing everybody out of the stadium, uh, they are much more worried about the safety of the police officers than the people they're brutalizing. It's it's upsetting to watch. It's a lot of people who are like, no, this isn't the right way. You Did you see that? They got violent with that police officer as he batons them. It's no, it's no different in either of our anglophonic collapsing empires. Well, one thing the UK and America have very much in common is the fact that capital is more important than uh, well, the well-being of the masses. And police officers are an investment in capital. They are, they are resources. So they get special, they get special treatment, especially because the elites know that when the revolution comes, those police officers are going to be one of their key buffers. Red Scare Media presents If the Ruskies Had Won, Part 2, Variety. Turn your pure, smooth brains toward a terrifying world in which the Cold War had ended in favor of the evil communist USSR. Much of what we all love about America would be stripped away. Among the wondrous things we'd lose to this alternate reality would be all the incredible variety that comes with capitalism. Here's how a supermarket in this awful mirror universe might look. Good morning, customers. We don't have sales on anything because there's no money. Grab your allotted items and get out so the next citizens can get through here. Okay, Harold. What do we got vouchers for this week? Okay. Looks like we start going up this aisle and get one loaf of bread. Oh, we can choose between rye and multigrain. I miss white bread. I know it was devoid of nutrients, but it tasted so delightfully bland. I know, dear, but we'll make the best of it. All right, now, next we get a box of brand cereal. Do you want with or without raisins? 
Ah, let's treat ourselves and get the raisins. Looks like we're coming up on pasta now. I sure hope they have angel hair spaghetti this week. Nah, dang, only the regular type and rotini. Ah, maybe next week. Well, with that and our allotted sauce jar, we're on to the chips. Salted, unsalted, or nacho? I guess salted. Yeah, all right. Everything else on the voucher is part of a pre-assembled box of milk, eggs, ground turkey, vegetables, and other necessities. We were in here for almost five minutes, Harold. We sure took our time. Doesn't that look miserable? Aren't you relieved to be in a truly free country like ours where innovation can thrive? Let's take a look at the bounty that capitalism brings. Good morning, shoppers. We've got a sale on cheeses. Save $2 when you buy 10 boxes. We all know having 10 boxes of the same snack in your house couldn't possibly backfire and lead to us being the most obese nation on the planet. Someone fucking kill me. I hate this shop. Harold, did you remember our shopping list? Yeah, we need bread. Now let's spend the next five minutes walking up and down just this aisle, deciding between a plethora of differently packaged white bread. Oh, Wonder, Bunny, Sara Lee, the store brand, hell, the possibilities are limitless, and yet somehow exactly the same. Okay, that decision was definitely fun and not a source of pointless stress. Now on to the cereal. Oh look, uh, this new Lucky Charms is literally just the marshmallows. What will those geniuses think of next? Birthday cake, Captain Crunch. Well, hell, it's only 40 grams of sugar per serving. We've got to try this. And if we're already getting two boxes, might as well get two more and we'll get that four for ten sale. All right, it's on to the pasta. Oh, look, this brand of angel hair is 49 cents more expensive than the other one. Obviously, that means it is a better product. We've got to get it. Now to choose between dozens of mild variations of pasta sauces, once again choosing the most expensive variety of the same flavor. I am certain they'd never overcharge to take advantage of the consumer. Alright, looks like chips are next. Oh, well, how about that? New Mountain Dew flavored Doritos. We've got to try those. You know, I am a sucker for new flavors. Oh, well, look, a new Ruffles flavor called sadness. In the cart you go. Now, off to look at entire walls of the most basic products that can't possibly have any variance from brand to brand. Your total is 158.33. Wow, not bad. And we were only in here for an hour. That's what we get when we plan ahead. Nothing says freedom like a trip to a quality American grocery store. That's one more point in favor of capitalist ingenuity over those despicable reds. God bless America. As much as I really do like soccer and they'll take advantage of that, yeah, the, the most important part of, of this sport is the pursuit of capital, the pursuit of money. And in some ways they, you know, while it might not be a profitable venture, they're going to use it to you know mask their debt or in some way serve uh accumulation and you know it, it, just like sports isn't necessarily off limits right 
neither is the news media, neither is uh, like our beloved institutions, the fourth estate. All of the things that we, you know, are kind of led to believe in America are very uh, important to a functioning society, you know, like a free press. These things are allowed to exist because they serve capital, right? Because they serve a purpose for the people who largely these corporate media instruments who own them. We have freedom of the press, but then these people who are in the press are told, if you want to keep your multi-million dollar jobs, you're going to say what we want you to say. And one of the key takeaways of what they want them to say is uphold capital and make sure that leftist groups that might actually want to dismantle capital are portrayed as fully demonized. I want to say that like it's usually not very overt, right? That a lot of the uh, – it's, it's very easy to be taken in by – uh, the the mainstream press's uh, opinions, right? It's very that's why it's been so effective, and it's been so effective because it's it's insidious. It's inside of the structure. It's built in. They might not come up to a person, a reporter, or an anchor, and say, "Look, I need you to report this story, or else you're fired." And it's you always have to toe this line, or else you're fired. What? Noam Chomsky and uh, Michael Parenti, these two in two separate works, Manufacturing Consent from Noam Chomsky and Inventing Reality from from Michael Parenti, uh, they've both kind of discussed that the biases that these anchors and these news deliverers have are not necessarily like coerced, right? These people are hired because they have the right opinions, because they have the right connections, and you get to have those right connections by, you know, being the good pro-business person that you are, right? You don't get to be uh, on the editorial board of the New York Times without knowing some pretty powerful people and probably uh, towing their line, doing the things that they like, doing their, the things that the people who own the company, these owners, these capitalists, like. Yeah, I mean, it's the idea that they got a job there because of their ideas, not that they had to have those ideas because of their job there. Right, right. It's 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 a self self replicating uh, kind of deal. It's like you bring people in who would uh, fit into that system, and that system, of course, it, it also has material incentives to act in a certain way. Yeah, right. I mean, there are material it, benefits yeah, to following yeah, well, the line. Once you've gotten in, make sure you keep those ideals and don't change your tune because you're going to want to stay in this lifestyle. But even then, you know, like uh, while I, I I wanted to be certain that we're not saying that these people are going out in particular, maybe just to, you know, bald facedly lie to everyone and they don't think of it that way. Um, there are definitely pretty uh, coordinated efforts Mostly, I would say, to either cover or not cover a story, right? They may not be outwardly lying to you, although a lot of times they are, um, but they may be omitting a significant story just because they don't want you to talk about it. They want don't want you to know about it, right? Like there, there's a reason that uh, right now we're still not talking about the giant protests that have been going on in India or that had been going on in India. You know, there's a reason we're not talking about labor movements. There's a reason that, for example, uh, the events of Bolivia during their second special election were 
just glossed over by American media. We just we uh, we don't even talk about uh, where socialism is actually succeeding and people want it. That's not important to our narrative. Right? Yeah, they'll just be quiet if there's a failure. It's uh, I mean, and it's a very viable strategy. I mean, capitalism has thrived for those who are actually benefiting by way of capitalism, specifically because it's uh, so well protected by our institutions and media. Now we have so few sources of news, right? There are very, all of these things have been consolidated into these huge conglomerates, right? Like Disney owns literally ha- like 40 or 50% of the market. Yeah, it's obscene. All, the Disney has actually passed the threshold of half, half of all media. They right. own more than half of all media. And, and, there are sub- and a subsidiary of them, News Corp, owns, like, I think... I know that for a fact News Corp owns Fox News, CNN, uh, MSNBC, a bunch. They own they own the left and the right. Well, the left being in heavy, heavy air quotes there. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I think that it's interesting. Um, I want to get into some of these quotes here that I, I've got in our prompts. Um, the world that we live in right now, you know – I was born in 1994, and I uh, I've lived in a world po- a post Soviet world, right? An entirely post Soviet world, and even before the Soviet Union collapsed, there was this idea, mostly proffered by people like Margaret Thatcher, that you know there is no alternative. Taking from Laura Flanders' uh, article in the Nation from 2013. Thatcher deployed her most famous slogan to mean that certain debates were over, especially debates over capitalism. Globalized capitalism, the so-called free markets and free trade, were the best ways to build wealth, distribute services, and grow society's economy. Now, that kind of – this idea that, the, the, that history had ended, right, that we were at the final form of human development, that's – seeped into the ideology, the the dominant ideology, which is, of course, neoliberal capitalism. So when we look at places like CNN, when we look at places like the New York Times, these bigger, uh, these premier news sources that pretty much everybody has to go to because you can't really get, like you can get your gray zones, you can get a few smaller papers and smaller reporting operations. You can go to the Nation, which is a very good, uh, for the most part, a very good news source. There's places like Counterpunch, uh, right? Like, but you have you have to go hunting for leftist news. Exactly. These aren't things that you're going to see repeated, you know, of the nightly news, your local shit. This idea that the world's at its final form really takes hold. I think a lot in the 90s and 2000s. Um, And you see that reflected in our news media, right? You see this as uh, people trying to sell themselves as not having any kind of ideology, as being a completely neutral arbiter of factual information, somebody who's delivering you, you know, not only the, uh, the narrative that is being created, the, the world's long arc of history being transcribed for you they're also delivering you the clear honest facts the easily digestible very obvious things that are real according to them they have absolutely no no bend and what i'm saying here and what michael parenti often says in his book inventing reality is that by not having an ideology i think it was also zizek who said um the people who are who ha- pre- pretend 
not to have an ideology are in fact the most ideological because they tacitly have accepted that the world, the status quo as it is, is, is the end. The end. There's no need to think about it anymore, folks. We don't need to worry about ideology because this is it. Right. They're, they they are a part of the status quo. Neoliberalism is not non-ideological. It exists as an ideology. As an ideology, it exists as a way of managing risk and capital and running a society in many ways into the ground. But uh, by saying that you don't have an ideology, you are tacitly accepting the dominance of the current ideology. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the whole idea of uh, evil thrives when good men do nothing, but placed into a more sharp contrast. Sensible Secret Service Agent. You called for me, sir? Huh? What? Uh, where? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I wanted to bounce something off of you. I don't get it. I keep trying to reach across the aisle, but the Republicans, who I have nothing but respect for, keep calling me a communist. Why do they say such awful things about me? Well, to be fair, the Republican Party has always treated Democrats with open hostility. I mean, look what they said about Obama and both Clintons. Honestly, your best bet would be to ignore the Republicans, especially the sociopaths who make up the party leadership, who have no qualms lying brazenly to their voter base. You do have a majority in the House and the Senate, so I don't know why you put so much stake in their opinion. Hey now, a lot of my good friends are Republican sociopaths. Mitt Romney and I really get each other, and I'm still good friends with John McCain. Come to think of it, I haven't talked to John in a while. I should give him a call. Um, sir, you delivered a eulogy at his funeral, remember? Uh, who, Romney? No, I just saw him the other day. We had a great discussion about how I'll set up my new tax proposal so he wouldn't personally be affected. <laughs> That's why I don't get it. Even he's going around calling me a socialist. I mean, I try to help these folks, and they still say such mean things to me. Where's the decency, man? Well, like I said, that's just how Republicans treat Democrats. For the record, sir, you're nowhere near a socialist. Well, that's awful nice of you to say. Well, that wasn't meant as a compliment. Maybe you should consider leaning into it. They're going to call you a communist anyway, so why not institute some policies that actually put people in control of their own resources? You know, let those people who are laboring enjoy the fruits of that labor? Look here, big fella. That doesn't make a lick of sense. If everyone actually got what they put in, where would the um the uh the thing the the thing the profits where'd they come from? America can't keep being the richest country in the world if our biggest businesses don't keep making money. Hell, I need to get that extra fifteen billion for the military from somewhere. Again, sir, the fact that you've prioritized the military in our budget so much more drastically than say housing the houseless population of the country or paying for Medicare for All, or instituting the beginnings of a Green New Deal shows that you don't have any communist agenda. You know, I think that maybe you could turn that money- You don't need to keep flattering me, son. I already like you. That did give me a really good sense of what I need to do, though. Thank you. I need to keep compromising with Republicans until they finally think I'm a cool capitalist like them. Thanks for all your help. Of course, sir. Sensible Secret Service Agent. Ideology is by its very nature 
necessary for uh, any kind of movement. Otherwise, if you choose not to have ideology, you willfully stay within the uh, constructs of our current system and reinforce them. The status quo will define the limits of acceptable opinion. And by not actively setting yourself uh, in opposition to the status quo, or at least in in some places, like I'm thinking of like Warren people who are like, well, I, I like the status quo. I just want to change a little bit of it. That's an acceptance of the the current system. In yeah, I mean, I feel like even, I'm rambling a little. No, bit. you're 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 dead spot on. I mean, the, bringing up Warren was a an excellent example. She's all about presenting the idea that she wants to change the change the world without actually going away from capitalism which is the way that the world works which means that nothing will change right not change she i mean she may as well have said the same thing that joe biden said verbatim which is nothing will fundamentally change but you'll be able to starve slightly less under warren and i mean don't get me wrong I'd still be thrilled to have Warren over the president we do have, who's being treated like he's the second coming of FDR, which, oh, Biden is, Biden's whole motif is really starting to frustrate me because I see all this fucking praise for him. Like he's been the best president we've ever had in American history for the leftist agenda. And uh, all he's, he's all rhetoric. He hasn't actually done shit, but he says all the right things and that all the people pay attention to. Well, he doesn't even need to say the right things. The people who write these articles, the people who are at the Washington Post, they get to write what they like. They get to say, oh, look how fantastic he is. He's definitely doing all of these great things. All of the progressives, all of them, every single person who's calling themselves a progressive, they love him. They were like, oh, he's got to be so bad. But then look, he's he's so great. Yeah, they can just say that. They just get to say that. And there's no interrogation as to whether or not that's necessarily true or that it's backed up by any kind of evidence they never really give the kind of follow-through required to actually see what the biden administration is doing and if they did they would notice or at least mention the 15 billion dollar raise of the uh discretionary spending for the military the incredible amount of money that's going towards uh militarizing police departments right as we are coming off of a horrific yeah the 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 border crisis and when i say border crisis that seems a little wrong the massive amount of people we are keeping in concentration camps still to this day he didn't change a damn thing they would talk maybe about the fact that there are still so many people in jail tens of thousands of people in federal prison for marijuana offenses and he's not going to help them at all he's not going to give them any pardons He's not going to decriminalize it because he's too busy telling people that rioting is bad. He's too busy doing that, that he can't write a piece of paper that deschedules marijuana. Well, I mean, it's important. Honestly, it's important to keep the elite status. I mean, how would he know that he's better than other people if his kid can't get away with crimes that other people can get, can't get away with? Yeah, seriously. I obviously and here's something. These people are always going to be hyper-focused on individuals, individual stories, which I understand because a lot of really good stories come out of individuals, right? It's very easy to sell. Anecdotal, people can, anecdotal stuff is, uh, the, is, the way, is one of the best ways to sell the American dream. This idea that, look, this happened to this one individual, so you never know. 
But they never are going to interrogate the policies and the material circumstances that are created by these individuals, these systems that control us. Ultimately, you know, fuck Biden and fuck Kamala Harris and fuck everybody else who makes up this government and the last government and the governments before then. But it's not necessarily any one individual, one of them that is controlling me and that is making rent hard to pay, that is making... Uh, food prices go fucking up while my wage stays low. That's making me go into the office, even though there's a fucking pandemic. It's not any one of those individuals. And it's not even my boss who is making me do that. It's the fact that we live in a system, a system defined by a profit motive that will force people into it. The press makes up a huge part of that system. The press is actually where all of the money for sports teams come from. You know, they come from uh, entertainment press. They come from advertisement and a lot of money exists in the these these systems so they're going to extract what they can just like any other capitalist would if you're in a steel mill business or if you're in the newspaper business you're still in business trying to sell people things and take their money and i mean capitalism has been so fundamentally ingrained as a ideology that has to thrive that even the leftist leftist politicians out there the aocs of the world know that they need to bend the knee at a certain point lest they lose any leverage that they think they have i'm honestly getting to a point where i don't i don't like using the word left leftists because it's like so many people will claim that it's like what are you though do you care about workers i mean you say that but do you actually care about getting them the 15 dollars minimum wage which is woefully inadequate now yeah, at this point, a $15 an hour minimum wage would still be about $8 less than a living wage. Yeah, and to think that <sighs> I come up against this issue in my head every time that I listen to, like I was listening to a seriously wrong episode today. I was listening to the one where they were talking about May Day. Um, good episode. Yeah, but May, the, hey, happy May Day. Well, not anymore, but. Well, happy happy International Workers Day, belatedly. This will yes. be about a week after that. But how much of it is even fixable, right? Like we do these little marginal changes. We try and get the uh, wage raised. We try to get less working hours in people's lives. But, you know, we throughout this, there is no alternative uh, neoliberal turn, one that has been highly propagandized for by news media, by people who are offering no alternative, by people who are suppressing any stories of an alternative. I mean, obviously you want to tweak things, but things have only gotten worse since like the 1920. I mean, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, labor's power since then has just completely disintegrated. And that means that your hours are going up, your wages are stagnating or falling. You have to drive further and further away from your home to get to a job. You have to do all of these other bullshit things because all of the power that was at one point utilized by the working class has been, you know, I don't want to say that it's completely gone, but it feels like it. It's definitely tough for us to maintain any show of force when our institutions push us down at every possible uh, point that they can. And it comes down to the fact that Unity is only achievable in a person-to-person -person structure because when you look at the way uh, 
large outlets of information try to treat these issues, we are suppressed wherever possible. A great example is, of course, the recent attempt to unionize at Amazon, where my father didn't even know it was happening because he's an MSNBC type boy, you know. And he, like, I mean, he knew it was happening, but he like, he, oh, it didn't happen. Oh, what are you gonna do? And even on Reddit, it was like, oh my god, this, this, it looks like there's some kind of weird voter suppression. Things might be funky. Okay, we're done talking about it now. They're, you know, leftist social media. <laughs> Again, leftist in heavy air quotes, and you just talked about that, right? I would like to read this quote from uh, Michael Parenti's Inventing Reality that talks just kind of right to that. I, I've actually, this is the book club's book that we've been reading. So it's, I, I've i I've only just gotten a couple of chapters in, but there's always, it's, it's Michael Parenti. He just packs so much shit into these things. He's so, he, his writing style is very much like, gotcha, getting in there, get that fucking uh, point. Right across. Yeah, very concise quotes. Yes, and he packs a lot of info into him, even still. So this is kind of talking about that in particular. Why is it that we don't come across these things? Even if the press does not mold our every opinion, it does mold opinion visibility. It can frame the perceptual limits around which our opinions take shape. Here may lie the most important fact of the news media. They set the issue agenda for the rest of us choosing what to emphasize and what to ignore or suppress, in effect organizing much of our political world for us. The media may not always be able to tell us what to think, but they are strikingly successful in telling us what to think about. I, I, I think that's so fucking concise and straightforward, and he says it right there, is that you get to see, because we are controlled by the same like six media companies, and they get to decide what is the limit of of acceptable opinion. They get to decide which side uh, gets any attention and how much more they're going to pay attention to, say, um, a, an empty fucking podium that Trump will eventually be standing at or a uh, stadium full of people listening to a so democratic socialist. I mean, it's all about having that narrative pre-spun for them and it's exactly why for example my father again going back to him he his his awareness of the young turks extends to hey wasn't that one guy in the young turks a sex offender i shouldn't listen to wait them. which one was a sex offender uh, uh I, I don't even know i mean i believe it was it. like he said something in, he I, it wasn't even that he was a sex offender it was that he said something a little bit kind of sexist i think i'm trying to remember it was a oh which one was it it was the I don't, I don't watch the Young Turks that carefully, honestly. They did a union bust. They busted their people trying to organize a union, which is really gross. Uh, Iger. That was it. Iger. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Cenk Uger. Uger. Yep. Uger, Uger. I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 I could find the name. He's the owner, and he's kind of a prick. Yeah, but apparently that's the – I mean, but that's – I used to listen. That's, that's not even that far of left media, but no. they make sure that it's not media you pay attention to. That's for sure. And I, when I say they, of course, that sounds super vague and conspiratorial, but just because something, um, something sounds like a crazy conspiracy theory doesn't mean it's not true. You don't honestly think that they're going to a smoke-filled back room to do this, and it's like, where else are they supposed to do it? It is. It is conspiratorial. Uh, it's not as though these capitalists, as internationally, I don't know, as cutthroat to each other as they are, they do at times collaborate. Let's talk about how uh, Apple and Microsoft had to pay out millions because they were involved in wage fixing. These capitalists will work with each other for their 
class benefit if they could get away with it. And they most certainly almost always can because this system, this world that we have built, world that has been built over the last 200, 300 plus years, this capitalism that we've got here, it's built to serve owners and to serve the bourgeoisie. So they will get away with it even if they are being conspiratorial. Red Scare Media presents If the Ruskies Had Won, Part 4, The News Media. Consider a hideous alternate reality where the filthy Russian pinkos outlasted our proud nation in the Cold War. In this dystopian nightmare, there would be no freedom, and that especially applies to freedom of the press. This is just one example of what the news media would look like in such a backwards, unnatural world. From the proud Soviet Union, which everyone is required to love, this is the only channel news. Today, a dangerous person espousing capitalist ideology was taken out of a town square intersection where he was causing public transit to run several minutes late with his disturbance. He has been incarcerated for his malicious crime of expressing free speech that goes against our system and will, of course, be imprisoned without trial. We have no footage to cut to because we refuse to give his dangerous ideals a platform. Anyway, let's go live to Bill Willerson with traffic. Thanks, Angie. Now that the protester has been removed, the roads are free and clear, as they have been ever since we outlawed cars in favor of a meticulously planned public transit system. I honestly don't know why we still have traffic in the news. Back to you, Angie. Thanks, Bill. In other news, today marks the 20th anniversary of the United States of America being embraced into the benevolent and glorious USSR, and we're all very happy. I certainly would never dream of protesting, and think this great joined world federation is perfect in every way. That's all the news we've got today, because there's absolutely nothing to worry about. Not for you, you great massive workers. What an abusive suppression of public information. Fortunately, we're in the land of freedom. Here's the kind of unbiased reporting we can enjoy. From the Amazon-owned channel 2129, this is Balaclavaville News. Today, several dangerous terrorists were shot down by our fine police force. The terrorists in question were guilty of menacingly waving signs in protest of recent events, in which the police also suppressed terrorist activity with decisive action. Now, this reporter knows there's a couple of bad eggs out there, but come on, how can we expect our, companies, uh, our country's finest to keep us safe without the use of lethal force? As the most unbiased and centrist news outlet out there, I don't want to cast aspersions, but non-violently protesting so dangerously seems like the work of nefarious tankies, otherwise known as commies. I assure you that they're the same thing. You can trust me. I'm on TV, so you know I'm an expert. Anyway, let's go to Bill Willerson with the traffic. Thank you, Angie. If you're traveling on literally any streets in the city or any of the highways, you might want to leave early. We're in a perpetual state of gridlock. I've been stuck in the news van trying to get out of the parking lot for three hours. Back to you, Angie. Thanks, Bill. Now, in other news, Congress passed the most progressive legislation I've ever heard of. It raises the top marginal tax rate on the hard-earned income of billionaires an astronomical 2.6%.
This bill borders on being extremist, as it's the first time we've increased the taxes of billionaires since the 50s. I don't know about you folks, but I'm worried this means we've stopped being capitalists altogether and we're now full-on socialists. Remember to stand up for your right to work, folks! Look how that reporter had the freedom to such concise and intelligent opinions right on the air. Even if you don't like her views, you could change the channel to dozens of other nearly identical news programs. You wouldn't have the luxury if the filthy reds had control. God bless America. Red Scare! I don't like AOC at this point, and really, like, yeah, I mean, she's, she's thrown me I don't me know. I think, that, I think that Bernie and AOC are, are both part of the same... Uh, vein of people well one's an independent and has been an independent this whole time and when he was initially elected as a congressperson he was much more radical than aoc ever was yeah and aoc has only in the what two three years that she's been in there has made such a quick pivot to this weird you know little set piece crying at the border during the trump administration and then saying well no they're not being ripped away from their mothers so it's better now that we have these families in concentration camps uh, that's firstly patently absurd you know and now she of course has her 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 voice is much more lifted in the uh, establishment press because no, of these kinds of opinions you're not wrong but i think that that's largely because of the fact that things have, things move faster in this day and age so let's i mean just the stop. 90s it wasn't like things stayed still i i i don't think that people get radicalized or de-radicalized necessarily at different pace it's it's like the material circumstances between now and 1991 when bernie got in they they're not that significant the difference there's a lot of different Obviously, the consumerist-oriented internet made a huge deal, made a huge impact. Uh, there's YouTube for people to go insane and look at debates on. I don't think that I, I, I just honestly think that she sold out so fucking fast because, firstly, I think, I think she was always she going to be that way. Era. I think she was always going to do this. I think she was always looking and triangulating, and I got taken in. I think that she triangulated very well to find a a niche that got her into office and then now the triangulation starts again it's not the bernie camp that's in charge it's the biden camp that's in charge the people who are setting the agenda at the end of 2016 after the democrats fucking floundered and after it completely embarrassed the centrist portion of the party that dynamic is gone now and now she is triangulating to cover her ass and get back in good with the Pelosi types call her her mama bear or whatever the fuck. I mean, she's your syphilitic brained mama bear. Jesus Christ. But I, I just I don't think that, you know, the reason that she is so big and the reason that she is allowed to be on all of these programs so so frequently is because she reinforces uh, the narrative of the elites. Yeah, you're not wrong. At the end of the day, it's more about upholding capitalism and that the, the American way, as it were, uh, regardless of any actual uh, willful grandstanding for human rights. Uh, as long as those human rights don't get in the way of profits, that's, uh, that's the important narrative being sold by just about anyone in our Congress. And Pelosi, of course, is – you, you weren't wrong bringing up that, yeah, these people are, at the end of the day, bowing down to people like Pelosi who – 
who thanks someone who got murdered who would much rather have not been murdered for getting murdered. Way to go. Great job getting murdered. Yeah. And, you know, as fucking tone deaf and ridiculous that she said thank you for being murdered. He didn't make a goddamn sacrifice. He was murdered by a, a racist cop in a racist cop system. And then they don't change anything. They just say the words, which has been the Democrat way. No, the world is entirely built by and for capitalists. It's not for you. You live here. You have to live here. And when you stop being useful, you don't have to live here. Yeah, and and that's and that's what's sold to us through all of our media, which is again owned by very high capital institutions. And any of the media that doesn't have capital also gets no screenplay. I used to be very much a person while I was in college in particular, when I was going to my little liberal arts university out in the the burbs of St. Louis, I was very interested in listening to NPR, in watching and uh, reading the premier press. I, I believed that by doing that, I was not only being, you know, well-informed as a citizen, I was smarter than people. I was better than people. I had this aura of intelligence that I could just rip from the pages of a White House press release uncritically, just say whatever Obama's press secretary was saying, and I felt smart. Felt like I was doing the right thing. It's the same as when I voted for Obama the second time. I was like, oh, how could anyone vote for Romney? What What are you thinking? They're so drastically different. Right. They're <laughs> literally uh, the exact same person, just one's Mormon. <laughs> and also has more m publicly noted money. Right. Well, I, I guess one is Bain Capital, and the other guy uh, will just liquidate you for the banks. <laughs> I find like so many people are very emotionally attached to these to these places like New York Times and Washington Post, CNN. They're emotionally attached. They have as much of a parasocial relationship with like fucking Chuck Todd as I would have with, you know, any podcaster that I listen to. It's about as real, you know, of a relationship. But also since these largely, I'm going to say people over 40, people over 50 who are watching these things still. The world's changed a lot in how uh, your media is consumed. Uh, there are some ways to avoid it. You know, a lot of younger people uh, are on Twitter instead of, you know, reading, reading the daily. But it's a similar uh, control of the media. So they're, you're getting the same narrative. But uh, people who get like those premier press releases and feel good about it, uh, they feel very uh, attached to it. I know, I'm thinking like my dad. I'm thinking about people and my who, father, yeah. yeah, people who who have this idea that they become better. And I feel like this people who spend like, seventy dollars a month to have cable TV so they can uh, watch four different versions of the exact same press release. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like okay, now that now let's have um, Brian Williams read it for me. It's not about actually, you know, creating any kind of uh, information bubble. It's literally just about telling people how they should think in with using different words, slightly different words each time. Yeah, it's it's again like if you have to pick between the Rachel Maddow version and the uh, Shep Smith version, there's not really any difference. But you get to feel as though I, I feel like this is Midwest liberal 
energy, serious Midwest liberal energy, like people who, or I should say Southern liberal energy, you know, people who live in places that are, you know, locally dominated by Republicans, locally dominated by conservative politics, who exist and feel like they have to be the most left person in the room, like the best person, the most morally correct. And they will go to what are essentially propaganda arms of the state in order to verify their beliefs. And because they have this this personal uh, identity wrapped up in it, they feel incredibly upset when you bring up the fact that these people, uh, these companies, these Companies that are delivering you your propaganda, if you call them propaganda, they go insane, that they would be even slightly not great, you know, not free press, that they would be any way in any way biased. Like, why would why would the New York Times or CNN tell me a lie? Why would it not tell me about the cages that Obama built to put children in? Why would they not do that? Why would we stop talking about it immediately as Biden comes in? It must have been solved. It's. I mean, it's a simple issue of uh, they. It, it, you, you said it before, moral superiority. Um, my father and I actually had a discussion recently where he said part of the reason that he. I mean, he didn't say these words exactly verbatim, but it was the, the vibe of the message he said was part of the reason I'm a better person than you is because I don't hate anybody. I don't hate. I don't hate. Like hate is wrong, and I don't. He hate sounds like he hates people. Oh, he hates – I mean, it's hilarious that he would say that. I actually brought up all the I – mean, he, hate was his key word. He doesn't hate billionaires like I do. And uh, I brought up that he hated Trump, and he's like, yeah, but, well, Trump is a special kind of evil. You got to hate a billionaire. Like that. And I'm like, yeah, it's – so you can just – Trump is special evil, but uh, Bill Gates, you don't have to hate him because he's a good guy. He, he really has our best interests in mind, and hate is always wrong. And that – and I don't know. It's – it's hip, the hypocrisy is uh, the hypocrisy is brazen. I don't know. It's just disappointing because it's not actually about critical thinking and you know pr- uh, w- wondering how your perceptions impact the world around you. It's about knowing you're right. I want to read this quote from Inventing Reality too that kind of talks on the objective of the news media. Their objective is not to produce an alert, critical, and informed citizenry, but the kind of people who will accept an opinion universe dominated by corporate and governmental elites, almost all of whom share the same ideological perspective about political and economic reality. True, these elites do not always appreciate how well they are served by a press that would be less effective if it were exclusively a propaganda arm of the business and government, but this does not mean the press is free and independent. It's again saying that because it is so insidious, because people do take this for granted that they're they're the fourth estate, that they exist as, oh, well, they're a private news company. They can't be the the arm of a state. You know, we're not like the the Soviet Union just pump or North Korea just pumping out state media news when really all that's different about our news and their news is that it's mediated through a form of business. It's mediated through a corporate control apparatus that is still manned and controlled by the same people who control the government. It's still the state, but you know they give you one or two layers of obfuscation in order to make sure that you too will accept this spoon-fed propaganda because uh, it's not quite so bitter as when it comes directly from the state. Well, I'm freedom of the press – much like a lot of our freedoms in America, is controlled by where the capital is flowing. Yeah, there's freedom of the press, but also if you're the kind of press that 
it doesn't support the ideals that uh, uphold capital, then you're the kind of press that's not going to have any capital to get your platform out. We now return to Capital F. All right, class, settle down. Today, we're going to be covering the history of America trying to bring freedom to Bolivia and the dangers of a socialist regime. Back in 2019, the people of Bolivia were strong-armed by violent union thugs into re-electing Evo Morales, a dangerous man who left the country in abject poverty with... Yes, Robbie? Mr. Tillis, didn't Evo Morales have a remarkably positive effect on the country's impoverished masses? Bringing them the best quality of life that they'd ever had and the country actually became wealthier? Don't be ridiculous. They were all very sad and afraid, just like it says in our history book. Now, the indigenous people were desperate to return to a time when corporations could profit from their land. It made them feel important. So the United States saw the dangers of another term of Morales and used its powerful friends in the Bolivian military to peacefully remove him and give him a nice quiet place to spend his days that, and not have to worry not about true. all... He had to go into hiding just not to be assassinated. Loads of his cabinet members were in prison. <sighs> you are not teaching this class, Mr. Balt. I don't want another word from you unless you're called on. Anyway, with America's help, the country could give the presidency to the very popular Janine Añez. The people hated her party. And her. The country was thriving under socialism, and America just couldn't have the fact that somebody- Mr. Balt! One more outburst like that, and I'll have you sent to the principal's office. Now, Añez was able to lead the country back towards the righteous path of capitalism until the next special election, which her government team was able to hold off for a full year despite the communists' best attempts to overthrow the new Christian government. Sadly, the indigenous citizens seemed to be upset at being massacred for some reason. When the special election came, despite assistance from our great country, Luis Arce, the candidate for Morales' party, won the day. Because he was hesitant to assist our corporate agenda and instead created a communist state of terror, our excellent agents at the CIA took extreme measures and eliminated his evil regime, Ooh. thus reverting the country back to its greatest benefactors, mining corporations. Hey! Their country is a clear example of why socialism doesn't work. Any questions? Ethics. Such bullshit. America has a history of resorting to military and anti-democratic action whenever a country starts proving that capitalism is not the only system in existence. All America cares about is keeping its people convinced that things can't get any better, no matter how many people it needs to slaughter. To... What's what's that red light? Does, does that mean I haven't... Uh, did I get a detention? No, Robbie. Sadly, this is out of my hands now. Everyone down on the ground now! What the Where's hell's the dangerous going on? commie who's spouting brainwashing propaganda? What the hell is going on? That's him! I recognize the voice! Oh, dang. He's just a kid. Well, we should still take him into custody. And hey, we want to make sure he learns his lesson. We'll call his parents tomorrow. See? This is exactly what I was saying. They're dragging me off because I was trying to tell my classmates the truth. Don't let your health be brainwashed. I swear to God. Oh my God. Oh my God. They're taking me. Where am I going? Oh no. Ah. Uh. Huh. Well, I don't know about you kids, but our police being able to respond that quickly sure makes me feel safer. Hooray. <laughs> 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 
the state took away the child. <laughs> Again, now you, know, you were just talking about you don't like the word leftist, but there are farmers with an agenda for taking care of people. My, I mean, my mother actually knows someone. You know, his whole shtick is he tries to give away all his crops. He doesn't like he doesn't use any kind of you know capital marketing, but also he is living in constant poverty. You know, and she but she just uh, she looks at him and says, "Oh, what a saint! He's such a good man," and not, "Oh, this is fucked up that the guy who's giving food to his neighbors is dying." All right, the man who is providing a service. For free for his community. I mean, honestly, if he, if he didn't have his own food and land, he would not be able to function in this society. Right. And again, that's individualism. It's not, you know, you can do the thing where um, you have your one individual good billionaire. Let's take, let's talk about fucking Mr. Gates, Billiam Gates and his wife, Melinda, who have their fucking fingers in everything, man. That The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is all over the place, and it's a charity. It's a charity that gives money to places like NPR, and NPR is not going to report poorly on, say, uh, Bill Gates going to the Oxford University who had developed a vaccine and being like, no, you can't give this out for free. And they're not going to talk about that. They're not going to talk about the fact that he is basically pouring his money into these these ventures in Africa and in uh, the United States, you know, ostensibly to like solve poverty or whatever, when really all he could, he could just give away his money. But instead he wants to, I don't know, like chop off people's foreskins in Africa. Bill Gates is a hilarious example because he's, he's upheld as the billionaire who's trying to give away his money. And considering he's made $40 billion in the last year, he's clearly doing a pretty piss poor job of giving away his money. Right. Yeah, no, he's an evil dude. He's an evil fucking dude. And the idea that people, you know, they'll be like, oh, Warren Buffett's such a cool guy. No, he isn't. He's a billionaire. He's a bad guy. John Henry's a bad guy. I, I hate that he owns my soccer team. He sold f soybean futures for whatever reason, and that wins money for, for him. You know, he doesn't create anything. He doesn't do anything. He says, I think I'm going to buy uh, soybeans now and say that they're going to sell for a price later. And that's it. And that's it. That's all you fucking did. And that is somehow worth keeping. That is somehow worth basing an entire economy and an entire culture around, is this accumulation by the most idiotic means. For what? For what? For whom? For two, three, ten, a hundred, a thousand people out of seven billion. Almost eight billion. It's backed up by this uh, idea that there are good and bad billionaires, which, uh, you know, the meme, the Dungeons and Dragons alignment chart thing, where it goes from, like, you know, lawful good in the top left, chaotic evil in the top bottom right. And uh, I've there's one that was made for billionaires that got a lot of play on Reddit for a long time. And it was like, oh, look, Bill Gates is in the lawful good corner and Donald Trump is in the chaotic evil corner. Go figure. And uh, then someone's like, no, I'm going to put an edit over this. They're all lawful evil. Yeah. And that's it. anyone who's a billionaire is playing by the exact same rule book. They're just using a slightly different script. Mm -hmm. that, that kind of capital does not exist without being willing to throw anyone under the bus along the way. All capital is exploitation. It takes what your labor has created and calls some of it a surplus by extracting that from you. That's all it is. And they'll do it for the stupidest fucking things. There's constant waste in capitalism because they just need to keep consuming. They just need to keep producing for 
an invisible consumer. They keep trading on futures in the belief that this system will go on forever and forever and forever. And it won't because it, it eats itself. And eventually, if we don't eat it, it's going to come for us too. And that's the problem. Capitalism is treated as the uh, the last the last viable alternative because specifically because it's got those Ouroboros tendencies. And heaven forbid we actually prevent the snake from eating its tail. Um, it's a simple issue of the ignorance being bliss. You know, it's the same. It's the same reason that people see the CIA say we have investigated ourselves and found that we are not guilty of anything, and say, "Well, good. I don't need to worry about that anymore. One less thing for me to think about." Now back to uh, just drinking my sorrows away and pretending the world isn't on fire. I mean, I don't blame. Honestly, that's the thing. I I do. I, my hate is limited to literally like a handful of people like less than one percent of well more than one percent but less than two percent of people and uh the rest of the rest of the world i don't blame them i just wish that they would pay attention better it's i get why they don't want to because it's very hard to in this system paying attention is pun paying attention too well is actually actively penalized both in terms of your mental health and in terms of how you're treated by uh, the establishment <laughs> but it doesn't change the fact that i wish that they would say maybe it's time for me to step up and say, this isn't okay. Paying attention, being penalized is prevalent in terms of our uh, general media. And to that end, we have paid a little too much attention to the most recent offering from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Kyle and I personally didn't have the patience to watch it, but thankfully we have a cultural correspondent for that. So to lead us out of this episode, we're going to bring you back to our good friend, Daniel. We are taking a brief break in the midst of our episode now to talk to culture correspondent. You may recognize the voice from last week or last month. It's our good buddy Daniel, and he is here to tell us about Captain Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Did I say that name of that show right? Oh, the title's actually just Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I don't know why I said Captain. Yeah, Captain Falcon. Captain Falcon. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the uh, new series from Marvel. I don't have the patience to watch it. Kyle certainly doesn't have the patience to watch it, but Daniel did, and uh, it fits very neatly into the theme of uh, communism bad. So we uh, have him here to kind of give us a brief review of it so you guys don't need to torture yourself with it if you don't want to. Sure, I hear that. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. It's a pleasure. I guess starting out, uh, right, right up top, this is going to be uh, spoilers uh, throughout this review. So if you don't want spoilers, skip ahead. We will put a robot voice in here to tell you how long to skip ahead. Skip to one hour, 29 minutes, and 26 seconds. But otherwise, could you give us like just a brief overview of the important parts of the show, Daniel, to get to get us going? Sure. Uh, actually, just to preface a bit, I uh, in the original cinematic Marvel run... I watched like a couple Iron Man movies and the Avengers crossover movies. It wasn't until the pandemic that I actually went back and watched all the phases, whatever uh, Disney Plus had to offer. So basically everything besides the Spider-Man movies that Sony owns. And then I got through that and actually went through WandaVision also. And then just recently watched uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. The first thing that struck me really was the marketing (laughs) because, uh, Having these two post-endgame, you know, sh- streaming available series, or oh, how much WandaVision was very female-centric, uh, a strong female lead dealing with uh, trauma in her own somewhat unhealthy way. A total aside, not contributing to really the overall Marvel canon at all. I mean, the really. whole thing turns out to basically be a dream, right? 
essentially it's that old that old scheme oh, real? oh yeah she i mean yeah it's she's, it's, she's creating her own universe so yeah, she, ca- uh. she cast a spell over an entire town to make it into her own uh sitcom of somewhat brainwashed robotic stepford wifey and show shit definitely <laughs> yeah she basically did that to herself to isolate herself while dealing with the loss of her significant other the robot yeah, not even human. <laughs> and I love the contrast because as soon as I saw the trailer, that's what struck me. The trailer for uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier is it's, I mean, this is the total bromance series. They're going with very much with their something for everybody strategy. I've heard a lot of, again, liberal Twitter saying that Falcon and Winter Soldier is like a perfect metaphor for how amazing Black Lives Matter is. Again, that doesn't seem like a perfectly ge- genuine uh, response. Honestly, to me, that was that theme for the series really worked the best. They did pretty well with the storyline, their commentary on where the Black Lives Matter movement is now and healing our wounds of racism and our history. It, it came across pretty well, and it did come across fairly genuine. Okay, well, credit where it's due. Yeah, it, it helps having the the main character is a you know strong black hero. Learning that he, his deep, deep family roots in New Orleans and his family history there and very much working class hero. Uh, and the, the arc of the series is essentially uh, after sort of being handed the shield and passed the torch from uh, Captain America, portrayed by Chris Evans in the series. This is the arc of the Falcon reluctantly deciding to accept that and actually become the new Captain America. So... I would say that's the main premise of the series is uh, he actually gives back the shield in the beginning, essentially surrender, surrenders it to the federal government, Lame. thinking that they'll do what's right and just sort of uh, put it behind glass and use it as a symbol, of course. Yeah, and not recreate a super soldier like they did in the first place to make Captain America. <laughs> right. Why would they do that? <laughs> yeah. So, of course, not long after he surrenders the shield and they say thanks so much you did the right thing they find a blonde-haired blue-eyed triple triple medal of honor winner soldier slap the suit on and give him the shield and call him the new captain america and of course another uh, perfect soldier working directly for the federal government to do as they please so that runs through the series and trying to sort of they're essentially going after the same villains whereas the falcon and the winter soldier are sort of teamed up with their uh, reluctant bromance buddy cop how do they, yeah, how do they get together? The Winter Soldier, Bucky's uh, storyline is basically that he's, you know, he's no longer brainwashed. He's been pardoned for his decades of being a super assassin for the Soviets. And so he's just trying to decide where he's going to, what he's going to do with himself. And he's going to uh, mandated psychiatric sessions. So we see some of that. And, you know, his psychiatrist, psychiatrist points out that he's been ignoring Sam's text, which Sam is the Falcon, who's been trying to keep in touch with him since Captain America stepped away and gave Sam the shield. So essentially Bucky just gets back in touch with him just because he's been trying to reach out. You never text your friends from camp anymore. Maybe you do that. <laughs> the Winter Soldier is completely freed up to uh, just help, help Sam with whatever he's up to. So the Falcon, as it turns out, is at, is, uh, just been filled in by the military on this new radical group 
calling themselves the Flag Smashers that are operating in Europe. Their main objective is to take things back to how they were during what they're calling the blip, which is the five years after Thanos snapped his fingers and disappeared half the people. Uh, They're saying that in that time, the world had to come together, some borders were dissolved, and people just went where there were resources and where they were needed. They felt the world, you know, the world was really unified at that time. But then five years later, all of those people just snapped back into existence. The governments tried to go back to the way things were, borders back in place, and you know, people that had taken, you know, sort of began to occupy homes that the people that were no longer there had previously owned. Well, they had to get out of those homes and give them back. So they run through that whole thing. But the flag smashers want their their slogan is actually one world, one people, which is... So evil sounding. How sinister. Unity is just just terrible. Dreadful. Of course, I'm not one to claim to know the intentions of the uh, Marvel content producers. Oh, I think we can can hazard a guess, though. They do essentially... I think we might say that the the company that takes maybe hundreds of millions of dollars in free equipment from the army, from the Navy, who made a Captain Marvel movie that literally was just a Air Force recruitment pitch. Like, I think we know what they what they really think. Maybe the status quo with governments reasserting themselves over the obvious villains in some one of their properties is going to be an issue. Got to bring back capitalism now that we got people again. There are a lot of writers that speak through their villains, that all of their best ideas come out of their villains. And I think that maybe there is somebody in the writer's room trying to think of a way to express this and get it past the editors. But I feel like it's more likely that Disney has a hard hand down on this. I can see that. You can see where the writers, they're using this you know, obviously what ends up being a, a terrorist organization, uh, but they're using them as sort of a sympathetic villain. Actually, throughout the storyline, the main character, the Falcon, is especially in his, in his dealings with the government and when they're discussing the Flag Smashers, uh, he, he's arguing their side a lot, saying that you have to be able to see their point, know why they're doing this. And, and he actually tells them they need to stop calling them terrorists. But I think that to me, that just goes along with there's something for everybody's strategy. You know, they wanted this to be a sympathetic villain. But to me, it's sort of the same kind of sort of condescension to the left and obviously very anti-communist. But they, of course, are going to portray them as like anarchists. And throughout the storyline, there is not really a clear objective for what the Flag Smashers want to accomplish. They just they know that. What they want is for things to be how they how they were. They want one one world, no borders. So it's the classic idea of portray communists. You can portray them as sympathetic, but they still don't know what they're talking about. Exactly. Right. They're, apparently, their only idea is to you know steal resources and give them you know the, the Robin Hood theory, give them to who they think needs them, which is also building their movement. And uh, of course, they have to operate in secret as much as they can. And their big plan is to uh, kidnap and. And hold hostage the uh, the board of the Global Repatriation Council, which is the government entity trying to uh, sort of send everybody back to where they were. It's like our global immigration policy. 
Yeah. That's hilarious. Got, gotta have ice in so, there doing the good doing their good work. I love the idea that this deporter, I'm supposed to believe that kidnapping this person is a bad thing. I would say the council is they're you don't see a whole lot of them, but they're they're not really portrayed in a very positive light. Again, having that goes along with their the sympathetic villain idea. And what that's one of the oddest things I found. And one of the reasons I would say, especially the final episode, is hardly even worth it. It's pretty garbage. So eventually, of course, uh, the end of the series is where the Falcon decides he is going to take up the mantle. He is going to be Captain America because the guy the government picked does not deserve it. And he shows up to save the day, along with the Winter Soldier, of course, and uh, Foil. Foil the Flag Smasher's big plan save the hostages from the global pig global the grc once he saves them the leader of the terrorists who by the way is a young mixed race freckle-faced ginger with a british accent which is kind of perfect she's she's been killed shot by another uh, side character all her sort of co-leaders of the flag smashers other super soldiers get uh blown up but uh after it's all after all that's done, the Falcon is being thanked by the hostage, hostages that he saved, and he gives them a, a good speech about racism and why uh, why the Flag Smashers shouldn't be called terrorists, and they need to understand where they were coming from and uh, do the right thing and back off of their plan uh, of reinstating the borders in the way they want to. And so they give the uh, happy story wrap up that his speech convinced them. To change their plans. Yeah, that's uh, if only that at all worked in real life instead of just your speeches getting shut down by our police force. Hmm. Yeah, we're going to infiltrate and probably assassinate one of your leaders, or we'll have a fucking FBI frame you. You know, like the <laughs> is it is it controversial to say that the people up in Michigan who wanted to kidnap the governor uh, that they were definitely entrapped. Like, they might have been bad dudes or whatever, but they were definitely entrapped. And they're getting charged with, like, uh, conspiracy to use a weapon of mass destruction. That shit's going to be used on, on more than just uh, the I, I don't. Leaders. I mean, entrapped or not, they're definitely being used to now signal... Uh, they're being used as, a, uh, as an example, regardless of the validity of that them being made into that example. Right. And also probably paving the way for... Better martial law. Yeah, better martial law. More airtight policing. But yeah, it's good in Marvel Universe. You can just make a good speech and then suddenly people will respect other races. That's something, it, again, it's like, how how popular are these movies around the world? They're pretty fucking popular, right? Like, outside of America. But America, it is our soul, soul culture, right? It's it's all that we, we make and all that we consume is this fucking Marvelized... Uh, lens flare, constantly moving camera, can't ever fucking set up a frame, have to do everything CGI, uh, fucking movie. And it's all based around a very individualist ethos. This idea that this one strong man or this two strong men will fight the bad guys and give a speech, a rousing speech that will turn everybody's mind. Is it America's culture that's because we are so individualistic, why is it that these things take such a hold on us? 
Well, I just did a quick Google, and 42% of all of the MCU's revenue comes from overseas. So it's 58% America, but still a good substantial amount yeah, of not America. Amount of money there. Yeah, despite the uh, leftist messaging and the, the strong commentary on racism, they they definitely got very, you know, pulled from the headlines, current events uh, with, with that storyline, because the uh, appointed Captain America uh, ends up in a in a large square in in uh, Munich, I believe, uh, has a fight with the terrorists and they kill his partner slash sidekick, another soldier from special ops, and he chases one of the the flag smashers down in the middle of the square and just beats him to death with the Captain America shield, while there's about a hundred people crowded around filming with their cell phones. So they went hard with that with and the timing of the series coming out during the Chauvin trial with the verdict coming out. As I said, in my opinion, it was it was still it was strong, positive commentary on policing and getting past uh, the the racism or sy- systemic racism. But beyond beyond that, the, the typical Marvel messaging still comes across to me, which is America will go anywhere in the world we need to to protect our interests with by whatever means necessary. I mean, just the idea of beating someone to death with a shield is hilariously ironic. For sure. With the stars, with the star and stripes on it. We're protecting you. We are still very much protecting Iraq and they should be grateful. And Afghanistan. Oh yeah. These kind of grab from the headlines, storylines that they're doing. They seem to me like you could definitely say with, what was happening in government or what was happening on the news uh, in the last, you know, five years with Trump has like subtext had died. And it seems like that's very, very true in shows like this, that they they have a very clear idea of what they want to communicate. And through this medium that is supposed to be about subtlety and innuendo and you know, learning by by what is painted on the picture in the frame, that these things really just smash you over the head with it. There's no room for, uh, you know, they'll do the, the nuance thing where they'll try and create a somewhat sympathetic villain, but they never really bother to go into any of the ideas that make that villain sympathetic. Yeah, I agree for sure. They, uh, they, gla- they glaze over the ideals that the flag smashers would actually be trying to pursue. All we get from them is, you know, one world, one people, we want no borders. And uh, the only language these people understand is violence. So we're going to use violence again, to me, no real objective. They just, they're essentially their plan is hostages and we will keep messing things up and, and we will hurt whoever stands in our way to, to dissolve all borders because it's a whole nother world, total fictional world. Their movement builds really quickly. It's uh, amazing how easily they infiltrate these security teams and uh, are able to take these, this board, the board of this council hostage in New York. It's all very silly. And of course they're foiled by the heroes. Yeah, naturally. I mean, to be fair though, the way, I mean, we're not taking hostages or, 
acting randomly and murdering people with the, our leftist movements here in America, but we burn down a police station and they act like we murdered a bunch of people. So that's to me what they're insinuating is this is essentially the people that are you know hold communist tendencies and uh, want policies like this implemented socialist policies. They're saying that all they really know is is anarchy and messing things up and they think that's how they're going to get what they want. And those, you know, while they, while they, to me, what they put on the surface in the storylines and the dialogue is some of the, the woke leftist messaging that they know they need for their customer base. But the subliminal pro military is still very much there. Yeah. The innuendo is America's superpower. We will be everywhere and patriotism everywhere. We will spread democracy and the left is going to continue to uh, they they really just might as well give up because this is not going to happen. It's not a fight they can win and they're just going to make a bunch of trouble in the meantime. Exactly. Nothing but a bunch of troublemakers. It's weird that they this is obviously in service of a kind of status quo. Like it doesn't get to be this popular. It doesn't get the institutional support it does without being a pro uh status quo creator but i think it's interesting how much they seemingly because again i haven't seen this this uh show but seemingly they they offer a solution which is you have to work through the system but then their main characters the 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 reason that anybody watches these things it's not for the it's not for like the romance or whatever it's about these individuals who, for whatever reason, are integrated into the system but have superpowers or have, you know, oodles of cash and a robot suit. These people that are exceptional and get to, you know, you could say they work in the system, but they, they're they entirely separate from any checks and balances or any uh, limits that, that a normal person is stranded in. That the, the, these people exist, I think, partly, and this is just kind of a, a theory. I don't, I'm sure somebody smarter than me has thought of a better way to articulate it. But are these villain or are these uh, superheroes, are they a, a way that we can vicariously feel powerful in a system that just rips all of our power away from us and leaves us feeling absolutely impotent? Uh, are these are these is this as our monoculture is it so prominent because we feel so powerless and they are offering us individual uh, individuals that can actually affect change without us you know this is our 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 opium this is just what gets us to go to sleep i think that is some of what they're going for i think that's why they present the two main characters our two heroes are sort of working class heroes uh, just uh, very much individuals that you know quietly do the work. Uh, you know, Falcon is very much a family man trying to help his sister and his nephews and protect their their legacy from their parents in New Orleans and uh, help help their community and also call on their community at the same time. The Winter Soldier, just again being someone who's totally isolated and uh, having no idea what he wants to do with his life, but of course, every every moment that arises, he's ready to to fight for what he thinks is right. Yeah, so it really does sound like they're trying to send the message of, well, any look, you, anyone can be a hero. All you have to do is stand up for what's right, and you can totally 
fix things within the system just by being a good guy and doing your best. All right. I love how we're presented that, but something else to me that we see in uh, almost all big budget cinema now is, uh, you know, some some character in the plot line is going to be uber rich so that they can show all the the amazing things that we can do with when uh, money is no object to someone. Oh, yeah, giant, I love teched out yachts and planes. The idea of the good guy billionaire has been around since Batman in the 1950s. Was it 50s when Batman first showed up? Maybe uh, 60s? It was the 30s, but it was also 30s. like, this has been around forever. We've always had a weird savior complex with the rich. Yeah. It was enough. Whether, I mean, to, to me, it's what, whether it's good guys or bad guys in, in the movies, they just like to show what, you know, what can be done with all this money. And the, there's, to me, it's just getting off on the excess and sort of pushing that fantasy on people, keeping, you know, keeping that spark alive. And people that someday they could get there and be the, the billionaire with infinite resources and do whatever they want. Yeah, because the way you get to billionaire status is by still having good ideals. Yeah, I think that's the sad thing is you can't become a billionaire and still keep – you can't be a good person and become a billionaire. The two are mutually exclusive. No, because it's ex- it, 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 the only way you get there is by exploitation, just as – Every level of capitalism as a small business tyrant or up to Bezos is still going to be based on taking whatever, call it excess, you call it surplus, but it's the amount of people's labor that you are collecting that they created value from. You know, it's the amount that people have worked to create that value and you are taking some of it away from them. It's an exploitation. If you have a billion dollars that's a billion dollars of exploitation or bullshit finances like what musk is doing right now mm-hmm. well which is still very exploitative oh for sure still that way <laughs> he still has people basically d- living in what is a the amazon warehouse equivalent of a car manufacturer well it sounds like falcon and winter soldier is definitely another example of uh, trying to uh, spread just enough token leftism to keep the masses happy, happy while actually still showing the clear message it's not going to work. Yeah, that was essentially my take. Well, more opiate for the masses. And the CGI looks great. They're doing wonders with uh, computer graphics these days. But uh, yeah, Michael Bay kicked of, off a good trend there. A lot of the story was was garbage. Some some of some of the wokeness was uh, was you know somewhat worthwhile, and I'm glad they're having this moment. I hope that if nothing else, some changes in our policing comes from it. But it does seem like it's one more thing that uh, corporate America and of course the our two political parties are just going to tend to. Well, one of our parties is going to co-opt and the other is going to use just to, to rail against as the boogeyman, the woke boogeyman. Yeah, but I mean, it's I think it's pretty clear that we're not going to see any immediate changes in our police situation, because even as the Chauvin trial was going on, there were a couple more innocent murders of black people. Just murdering a lot of people. All them cops be murdering. I think it's. Man, and unfortunately, is... they are one of our key barriers to ever achieving any actual leftism in this country, because as I was talking to Daniel about not too long ago, um, our police force are the third biggest military in the world after our actual military and China's military. Right. But we're free. Yeah, the older I get, the more I've 
seen our police forces as as just really corporate security. And when you consider the portion of our laws that we have on the books, how much of them are just about money and property and not actually about the, you know, the community and protecting the people, you know, those are the laws that they're there to enforce is to protect the wealth and property of those that have it. Absolutely. They exist to reinforce this, the status quo, the world created by men and women of, uh, well, mostly men of property. We're all so fucking helpless and individualized. And that's the, the biggest issue. Well, that's one of the big issues in getting uh, any kind of organizing in this country is because we live in one that is yeah, so and As long as they keep us separated alienated. and alienated, it's really easy to spread the message that leftism just can't work because, look, these people can't figure anything out. But they'll give us these opiates. They'll give us these little Disney properties that we can uh, feel like maybe watching it is we can live our lives slightly more powerfully through the eyes of the Falcon or the Winter Soldier. Well, any uh, last thoughts, Daniel? I think that's the fantasy they leave us with is that this hero is going to arise that is somehow able to uh, work with the powers that be and and change their their hearts and minds you know working outside the system and just uh we we've got the millions protesting against police and we'll see if we get anything out of that and it will take mass strikes or something of the sort to uh to really get workers rights because even if we get a 15 dollars minimum wage we know that there will just be an economic reaction to that you know it, it won't so that that very quickly won't be what it was 10 to 15 years ago I mean, it already isn't. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again, Daniel, this week. Uh, this is a very good seg- uh, very good um, implementation into our episode's theme. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Sure. I appreciate the opportunity to share my thoughts on uh, what the Marvels have to offer. In case this ends up being the end of the episode, I guess we'll uh, bid you all love and solidarity. Love and solidarity. Love and solidarity to you guys. There are also long-standing issues that um, are often called the root causes of immigration. Come on, let us shoot. We are looking at the issue of poverty and the lack, therefore, of economic opportunities. Yeah, we got one guy crawling around down there, but uh, yeah, we got definitely got some. The issue of extreme weather conditions uh, and the lack of climate adaptation. Thank you.